it's Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and solve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sean. Oh, well, it is a joy, Norman, to have you back. Come and join me up here. Norman Warren was the vicar of this church back in the 60s and 70s. Let's give him a warm, warm welcome tonight. <laughs> and uh, we'll check that you're on. Let's just... Am I on? One, two, three. Oh, good. That's all, all, all good. The marvels of technology. So uh, we're going to do an interview tonight. We're not quite sure how this is going to go. Uh, but what we're praying is that through this, the Lord will speak to each one of us. And there'll be something particular that God has reached for us tonight. So let's just pray that as we start. Lord God, we heard that reading of you standing at the door and knocking at mm. that church, at individual lives. And here you are this evening among us. We pray that you would come and speak to each one of us. As I uh, interview Norman, as he speaks, will you breathe your spirit through all of this, that each of us hear you speaking to us, and then give us grace to follow where you lead. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, a wide-ranging interview. We're going to go back many years, Norman, first of all, to when you were a boy. So where did you grow up? Yes, um, I uh, grew up in south-east London, and um, I was born uh, before the war, and I was a boy during the Battle of Britain, and so I was evacuated, actually, four times. But uh, we actually came back. Uh, my parents brought us back um, right when the Battle of Britain Started, so I grew up in southeast London. So you remember? You were telling me earlier when you were about six. You remember I the bombs falling? I remember falling. the bombing. The night the docks were bombed, um, my brother and I were stood outside our shelter and we watched hundreds and hundreds of German planes going over. Do you know, I can still remember the noise. It's wah, 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 so how old wah. were you at this? I time? was six at the time, okay. and um, we got back in the shelter that night and. Um, um, round about, I don't know what time it was, but later we heard the planes coming back and we heard this bomb coming down, whistling down, and it landed 
So I'm told, 20 feet from our shelter, and never went off. <laughs> and what so. was amazing is that I only knew this later from my brother, that my granny was reading at the time Psalm 91. If you don't be afraid of any terror that flies by night, it shall not come near you. And that's extraordinary. And, uh, and I suppose really from that age, uh, I've always had this sense of God with me. It wasn't until later that I came to know what it was about, but I had this feeling that God was God there. God was there. Yeah, God was there. So let's fast forward this to the point where you committed your life to yes, Jesus. Right. So how old were you when I was living seven, faith came? 17 and a half, and uh, I remember I was in the uh, youth club. But I have to say that we had a curate come who, now listen carefully, he was a German Jew born in Hamburg, Name and this is of Rolf just a, Harding. Fantastic. Anybody, anybody knows. This and is just after the war. Yeah. Uh, no, this was way before the war. This okay. was 1938. And of course, being a Jew was not healthy. He threw himself into the Nazi youth and was converted when they were flinging bricks through a church window. And he fled to England and eventually became a curate in our church. And after one evening at the youth club, and he was a brilliant youth leader, he said to me, Norman, do you know Jesus Christ? I knew about him. You know, couldn't go to church without knowing something. But that was not his question, and he didn't push it. He left it. About three months later, <clears throat> two coach loads went up from our church to the centre of Westminster. One of the girls from our church had volunteered, well, volunteered, I'm sorry, trained to go with the China Inland Mission. And um, this was a, a valedictory meeting in the centre of Westminster, and I must say, I went in very bad taste. <laughs> uh, missionary meetings were not on my agenda, but my mother said, you ought to go because Val's been wonderful in the church. Anyway, I went. And um, the inter interviewer spoke to some of the candidates, and then came the final message from the then Bishop of Liverpool, Dr. Clifford Martin. And he said to these six or eight, however many there were, it's no good you going overseas, he said, with a second-hand faith. I remember it so clearly. You've got to know the one you're talking about. And into my brain came that question the curator report. Do you know Jesus Christ? And the bishop then used Revelation 3.20. Uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he then said to everybody, is Jesus Christ, and I say it to you tonight, is Jesus Christ outside your life or inside? Well, I knew he was outside. And the bishop invited us to invite Jesus Christ into my life. And that's where I discovered Jesus. And, you know, the Bible came alive, prayer came alive, worship came alive. You know, you just come alive. So <laughs> if there's someone here tonight who was where you were that night, yes. you know about God, you said you, as a child you knew he was near, yes. you knew Jesus was was yes. there, but you're kind of talking him through yes. the door. Yes. Just say a bit, what do you actually mean, open the door of your life and let him well, in? Well, for me, it meant I went back home and I just knelt down and I opened the Bible and looked at the verse again. And the bishop had said, this is a promise of the Son of God. And I read, behold, I stand. Here's Jesus. I could see standing at the door. And I knew that the door is, is my, my myself, my life, my, my wholeness. And... Um, the verse invited us, called us to invite him in. And that's exactly what I did. There were no sort of violins playing, but I had this 
absolute conviction that when Jesus said something, he would do it. And I have never questioned for a second. I've had problems over things in my Christian life. I've never questioned for a second he kept his he promise. There. And he's in my life. And, and I that say was when you were anybody 17. here. That was when you were 17. I was 17. So, and you're how old now? Oh, nearly 84. 84, so that's what, 67 <laughs> years ago. Hallelujah. Yeah. And you've walked with him. What was wonderful is that um, within six months, I was doing national service in the Navy. And so a real test whether my faith was real, you yes. know, because you get really, if you read the Bible at night, you call, you, you copy it, you know. Yeah. But I proved Christ in those times. He was faithful in the difficult times as well. So you got, you, how to come you got ordained because you were ordained still relatively young so how did that happen you've done your national service you've been to university well yes I I didn't know I, I had an entrance at Cambridge to read modern languages but music was my best subject okay. by a mile but I wasn't sure about wanting to be a professional musician I didn't want to go and teach languages uh, I, I I'd learned Russian in the national service so I had three languages that were pretty fluent and so I thought I might do something traveling, you know, using language. Um, and in my second year uh, at uh, Cambridge, um, Morris Wood, who was vicar of St. Mary's Islington, the church had been badly bombed in the war, and he sent a message around the Christian Union, any um, boys or girls who had free time, the church is now open, it's been rebuilt, you know, it's alive and kicking. Can we have people to knock around the doors? So I went, well, I live in London, let's go. So I went, and some of you may remember a very famous Bible teacher called Dr. Alan Stips. Ring a bell or something? He was the Bible teacher there, which was lovely. Anyway, knocking around the doors of this flat, it was filthy weather, December. Um, I was on about the second floor, and uh, misty, horrible, it was awful weather. Um, there was this clear voice as though you were talking to me. This is the work I want you to do. And I turned around and so he was talking to me. This has never happened before in my life or, or, or since in quite that way. Almost an audible voice. It was oh. really. And I fought against it until eventually you cannot fight against God. And eventually I went step by step. You know, and all the doors kept opening. It was a long process in the Church of England. <laughs> there is. The doors kept opening one after another. I thought, oh... And I, I wouldn't go back on it for anything. It's been a most fascinating life. So, um, like you, I fought a call to ordination for many years. I fought it manfully for about 20, <laughs> 21 years. <laughs> but uh, like you, I wouldn't go back on it. What would you say to anybody here, if there's someone here who's just wondered if God might be calling them to be ordained? What would you tell them to do? Would you tell them to fight it? Would you tell them to embrace it? Or I would say explore it. Explore it. Yeah, test it. I think that's true in the Bible, whether we have to test things, whether they really work or not. And in my experience, that when we test God, as it were, he never lets us down. You know, he never lets us down. And he'll make it absolutely clear on the way whether this is the right path or not. You know, of that, I'm, maybe through friends or whatever, through one's own Bible reading, the conviction comes, this is right. This is the way, go for it. So yeah. God spoke to you while you were door knocking. Yeah. And um, you, you tested it for a while, fought a bit. You wind up going to theological college and getting ordained. That's right. And you're a curate up in Bedworth or Bedworth. Well, wait a minute. Oh, I had a, I'm going too yeah, fast. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, that's quite true. But um, 
um, a certain person by the name of Michael Green, might oh, be yes. well known, rang me and said, I would like you to follow me as curate at Holy Trinity Eastbourne. Eastbourne, well, I thought, golly, um, big, powerful church. And I'd also had an invitation to go to a mining parish in North Coventry. And I thought, what a choice. <laughs> down on the seaside. <laughs> they, they could not have been more contrasted, really. Anyway, I went down to um, Eastbourne, and as I walked around, I said, Lord, this is not me. This is really, I, and I can't see me fitting in here. Okay. And um, so I went on the, um, the bus to Coventry, stopped outside the cemetery, and the bus person said, any more for the underground? <laughs> and um, I thought, well, I'm here. And it was a fantastic time because I had to forget almost everything that I'd learned about middle-class evangelism and start absolutely right at the beginning with people who are not illiterate, but they didn't like reading. And um, they were a um, huge number of miners and working class people. And um, the rector gave me the job of baptism visiting, so I was out into young couples, hour after hour after hour after hour. And you know, I wrestled with how do you get the gospel across? And we had some missionaries coming and they came round to tea with Yvonne and myself and I said what do you do when you go into a village where nobody knows anything about mm. Christ he said show pictures I said what sort of pictures and he showed us some of the things he used and I actually borrowed them and I found that they actually made sense and that's where the idea came to me because none of the booklets of John Stott and Morris Wood were making any sense. They were written more for undergraduates? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, when I was in the guards, you know, well, that goes down a bomb with them, yes. with the miners of Bedworth. Um, and, and so then the idea came, because it was the year before we were married, and um, I was living with a widow and her son in a very poor part of Bedworth, and the only reading was the Daily Mirror. And I got interested how they do a picture, a caption, and then a few words, and then more if you want to read. Why can't we do this? So that was where the idea came for writing something simple. Exactly. Because there was nothing, nothing on the market. There was nothing. And then the idea of, um, of the gospel with pictures came. So and you started writing what became Journey into Life right. while you were in Bedworth. Yes. It was and, published here. But it was published when you got here. <laughs> so let's come back to Journey into Life. So tell the story of how it was that you came to be vicar here because the right. church you came in 1963 1962 uh, the vicar had retired and the church was really on its last legs oh he'd gone before that I think yeah. um, and um, the um, well all I can say is that um, I'd been asked to go to a parish called Ipsley near Redditch and it was um, a housing estate with lots of young couples and I thought this is Handmade for Yvonne and myself, you know, uh, just the job. And uh, we went along, we liked it. Everything about it was working beautifully. The house, the, um, we were in touch with the archdeacon over the moon. The whole thing was going ahead. Then phone call from the diocese, um, Worcester, I'm not quite sure, or Birmingham. Um, I'm sorry, the vicar is not moving. After all, he's decided <laughs> to stay put. Absolutely. And we were in a, a house in Bedworth, and another curate was coming in June, and this was March. So you had to get out. We had to get out. Nowhere to go now. 
And the other we've been working on since about Christmas, we've been working on Ipsley. Um, and it, it was a matter of prayer. What, what, what are you going to do? Then the phone went. Norman! <laughs> Bishop here! I want you to go to St. Paul's Leamington. Well, like the voice of God for a young curate, I'll tell you. And he arranged to meet me here. You know, when I look down now, I don't know whether to fall down on my knees in adoration or lift my hands in praise as I see what's happened. Because there was none of, none oh, of this none was at the back. It was, it was just a huge... Going huge. right through to the back. And just presumably both and that way and that way. Pews yeah. everywhere. 1,500 the church seated, all pews. And how many people used to come and worship on a Sunday morning? Ten, if you were lucky. Okay. And the... Here I was with the bishop anyway. We came in here and he looked around. It was a dark day and honestly it looked awful. I have to say it was dark and dreary. And he said, pull it down, he said. We'll pull it down. Well, mercifully, in the mercy of God, he, he didn't pull it down. But what they wanted to do, I gather, is to join us up with Holy Trinity. Now, that was a flourishing church in those days, packed to the doors. Um, very middle class, whereas we were the, the poor class. You know, where the poor people lived in Hill Street and, you know, Norfolk Street. Suffolk long Street. before the motorway came up oh, and the riches of way. London came up to Leamington. Put it down, he said. Well... Praise God, we didn't, and um, and so we started here. Now you were something like the eleventh person he'd asked. Was that I right? was the eleventh. What happens in the Church of England that every church has what we call a patron. They are responsible for appointing a vicar um, or rector to a parish. But if he tries three people, at least this is how it replied to me when I was in Rochester. If he and three turned it down, he then moved to the bishop. And that's what happened in this So if lots of people 11th, have turned it down. It does such a lot for your ego, Jonathan, <laughs> that you were the 11th and you had to, so you, turned it down. You were funnelled by the Lord, really. You had to get out. I had to get out. So guidance works in strange ways sometimes. Indeed. But I'll tell you what. Um, yes, you can see it. As We've I lit came it up church, now so you can see it. I am the way, the truth, truth and the and life. life. That hit me and I thought, yes. There's some hope here. That's right. And so it was you, one of the uh, conviction things that hit me. So God spoke to you, oh, and, yes. but you came. But Through it was a vast barn of a place. Yes. Leaky roof. Leaky roof. Dodgy the, lights. The boiler had, had just packed in. The organ was dying on its feet. And um, it, was, it was a sad situation. I suppose the good thing is, is that as a young enthusiast of, what, 28, 27, 28... You can't go far wrong. <laughs> there, was nothing, you know, there, was, there was nothing you could do to make any, it worse. Almost anything you do is, is an advance. <laughs> so what did you do to start getting the thing going? Right. Well, there was a church school. There that, still is, yep. That no one had any contact with. There was um, scouts, guides, cubs, brownies, rovers, rangers, the lot. But none of them the, came on a Sunday. No. Just, oh. So I got straight into those two things. And within a very short time, started what in those days was unique, really, a family prayed service. So it used to be just sort of Book of Common Prayer, morning prayer or evening prayer, and that was right. it. That's yeah. exactly right. Eight o'clock communion, had about two, um, who never came anywhere else. Um, about 10, 11 in the morning service. Um, the same ones used to come in the evening. And, and this vast church, I mean... 
Presumably they sat at the back. Oh, yes. And you yes. would have been right up the front. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Could you see them? Was it misty? Could well, you know, you need to know. You couldn't even see them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you see, we then started this, and I got into the school. I used to wait at the door of the um, uh, meeting the parents, you yeah. know. And bit by bit, our, our once-a-month family service or prayed service Bit by bit, it took off because they had to come. Because I prayed to them, you know, they came in with flags. So they had to come once a month. And of course, it was a wonderful chance. I played the accordion, so we had introducing songs into it, and and gradually they got to like it. And bit by bit, you know, um, parents used to come. I mean, over four or five years, and some lovely people um, joined us too. I didn't know Lewis and Angela. You must have come pretty soon. John Elizabeth Marsh, I know, came very soon, and we had a few like this come who were really strong Christians, and it was just what I needed support at that time. So let's pick up the journey into life story, because you'd come from Bedworth with the idea of writing a booklet to explain the gospel simply. And one of our children's godmother did some drawings, and we drew up a thing, and our next door neighbor, oh, by this time, sorry, I should have said the vicarage uh, we looked at had 25 rooms. It was in 26 Lillington Road, I forget the number it's now. Op- opposite, it's now William Moore's Absolutely Moore's house, yeah. vast. The old vicar lived in about three or four. The garden hadn't been attended for two years. Wallpaper was coming up. I- I've never seen it. Couldn't mess. afford to heat well, it. Well, no. no, the church warden said, we can't let you go there. So we went into a flat in Newbold Street. And then to Newbold Terrace East, number 49. And our next door neighbor was the editor of the Leamington Courier. And he agreed to publish what we had here, Journey into Life. And so I just a, spotted Elizabeth on the back row who did the line drawings, not, I think. Not that time. That was the second no, one. That was the, the second, second edition. Okay. This was the first one. And we printed it privately. And I sent 100 out all over England to prison chaplains, dot people, anyone I could think of. I said, please, tell me what you think. Am I on the right lines or not? Because um, CPO turned it down. Another publisher turned it down. Script Union were interested only as a children's thing. They'd really all turned it down because there was nothing that was printed with pictures in those days for evangelism. Anyway, we went ahead, and the response was phenomenal. Uh, a vicar in Hull said he'd given it to a couple and they'd both come through to Christ. Well, I nearly that's wept, you know. And that's when... Oh, sorry. And then another interesting thing was, which I only knew um, about two, three weeks ago, um, Tim Dudley Smith, who went on to become a bishop, well-known for his hymns, was in charge of publications at the CPAS and he turned it down. And he was at a meeting of the Archbishop's Evangelism Committee in Lambeth. And two of the people present said, by the way, have you seen this booklet? <laughs> you know, and Tim was really rather taken aback, but he turned it down. And they said, this is really on the right lines. We've got to go for it. Well, he rang me up that night. Now, I only knew this a fortnight ago when I was talking to him. You didn't know that at the time? No, I know. And he said that, um, and I went down to see him, and the CPA took it on. And Elizabeth did the drawings, and they were brilliant drawings. In fact, I've heard recently of uh, people who've come to faith through the drawings. And the first year, they sold half a million. And um, by the time that 
Hudson, no, what's it called? Uh, Hudson, um, not Hudson Taylor, I forget the publishers now. Hodder. It, Hodder, and, yes, yeah. right, Hodder. They'd, it had gone to 40 million. Gosh. Now, just out of interest, so some of you youngsters, the, one, the main track that gets used these days is Nicky Gumbel's yeah. Why Jesus? And Journey into Life was a sort of forerunner of that. Yes. How many folks here, if any, did, was there anybody here who came to faith through Journey into Life? Here we go. So, <laughs> Carolyn, our church warden, and Julia on the back. But all around the world, God had yeah. used this. About 100 but, languages, more than that it went. So, Elizabeth told me when, Fiji, when it went to Fiji, they yeah. wrote back and said, can we have some line drawings with longer skirts, please? <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but how did you use it here, then, at St. Paul's? Um, well, I've always used it and encouraged, because, uh, because very soon, within four or five years, you know, I started to, to train up people coming with me on one-to-one -one evangelism. And they'd, they would come out with me and we'd talk about it. And then we had a training program and we trained up people. And I trained them to use Journey to Life, not to give out, but to actually work through it. Or maybe to give to a family, look, read this through. After we talked about the mm. Christian faith, look, read this through and we'll come back next week and, and see what happens. And we found again and again people had come to faith um, through it. Um, and, you know, you could point out things in it. Um, the, the prayer in it is a prayer of commitment, if you're not quite sure what to do. Um, so that's really how I saw it being used. Rather than dished out, I know it's, it was dished out at the um, 2000 Olympics. I think half a million were distributed there. But I'm not sure that distributing it is the, is the answer, really. But sit, going through sit it Sit down with somebody yeah. is how I envisaged it, um, really. But then the Lord's used it in loads of ways beyond. Absolutely right, yes. Hallelujah. So during those years, you got involved with the school, with the uniform groups. You started an all-age service that actually loads of parishes copied to the point where it became normal. Yes, yes. And slowly you saw a parish church come into being. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were here 14, 14, 14 1963 years. to 1977. Tremendous so what, time. No, what was it like? What do you remember as you left? Oh, a church that was just full of love. And, uh, you know, it was just... <laughs> Part of me didn't want to leave yet. I've, I'm an evangelist, you see, really, and I felt the church could do with a, a, a much more Bible teacher, really. And that's what happened. That's what happened when Andrew, Andrew Dow, Dow came. Coming. Yeah. Um, and I felt that maybe I ought to move on, uh, maybe to a church that was really struggling, as it turned out, you know, and needed um, you know, some really... evangelism, really, quite frankly. So we'll, we'll come back to where you went next. But down the years, you've always had a heart for St. Paul's. Of, of my three big jobs, uh, this is the one that I remember with most affection, without any shadow of doubt. Well, I just love this building, and I just love the... Um, so what do you think uh, about how we've wrecked it now? Oh, it's, it's a dream. <laughs> absolute dream come true. You know, I think it's amazing what's happened. Really is. Well, it's a great joy, Bill, doing ministry <laughs> on the foundations you laid in those. Well, Let's just come on. So where did you go next? What happened after? Um... Well, as I said, I've, I've never had to look for a job in my, in my ministry. And I had a phone call from, I think it was a CPAS. They wanted me to go to be rector of Morden. It's a whacking great parish, 40,000 or so, southwest London. Mostly known because it's the end of the London underground, northern <laughs> line, the underground. 
and it had been a big evangelical church in the 50s and pre-war. Um, it had then, at times, over a thousand young people in the youth clubs. And the time that I went, 1977, I've never seen such a sad group of churches. It was still a parish church and three daughter churches, and, and the then previous rector dominated all three. You know, they weren't allowed to grow. And the first day I was there, I met with the three curates. And I said, right, from today on, this is a team ministry, and you are team vicars. And that's what we work through. And um, again, we saw the churches grow, and uh, again, I established um, training programs and evangelism. And so replicated kind of what had uh, gone on here. And it, uh, it was a good time. I didn't like Morden as a place. Uh, it's a huge, I mean, one road had 1,750 houses. Gosh, that's a lot of door knocking if you were going <laughs> All the same. Yeah. Yes, it was a hamlet in the um, 20s and then 1930s, it just grew. Well, we could ask you more about those years, but yeah. I'm going to, having spent time here, you then went on to, you talked about another big job where they appointed you as an archdeacon. That's right. How did yes. you get on oh, with that? Wow. Tell well, We'd been 12, 13 years at Morton, and, and praise God, you know, I mean, our, our church was packed, you know, and it was really going well. And we had excellent curates, super team vicars, and it was a really thriving place. And um, I just felt, well, Lord, maybe there's somewhere else I need to go. So Yvonne and I went down to Rustington. Her mother had died and left a little terraced house at Rustington. We thought we'll go down for a day of prayer. And we went down there. And we opened, for some reason, Isaiah 55. Well, I was struck immediately by those opening verses of the free grace of God, you know, come and buy. You know, isn't, it's all there for us. Yvonne was struck, um, the last verse, you shall go out with joy. And we got, she's absolutely true, we got home that night, and there sitting on the floor was a letter from 10 Downing Street, believe it or not, I've never had dealings with her <laughs> to go to Rochester. So that was to be Archdeacon in Rochester. That was Archdeacon in Rochester. And you just had that and verse about going out with joy. And, and it, was, um, it was a marvellous job. A lovely um, bishop, keen evangelical. And um, he said, I want you to look after the 70 parishes, your main job. But he gave me the job of oversight of mission and evangelism in the diocese. And I was actually one of the five residentary canons of the cathedral. Now, being the only evangelical there, that was not easy, I can tell you. <laughs> With an extreme Anglo-Catholic dean who wanted to change everything and, and me opposing him at every possible <laughs> means. <laughs> but you got the opportunity to preach the gospel as an oh, evangelist in all sorts all of over the place. extraordinary places. The, the job was wonderful because it gave you a, a name um, I remember that when I had Ruth with us, when the, the, he was, she was there at the time, what are they going to call you, Dad? The Venerable, I said. And she said, the Vulnerable. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that, because that's exactly right. We are vulnerable. We're human beings. That if God can use, praise that be, you know. And, and it, it was a terrific job. It opened uh, well, St. Paul's Cathedral, Canterbury, that I could name cathedral all over the country simply because you're an archdeacon, not for any other reason. And all the different parish and churches parishes, where you got to preach. Wonderful chances to preach, you know, the gospel of Christ. And well, uh, I'd, I'd love to God ask you it. more stories about that, <laughs> but I'm going to move on because the day you retired, oh gosh, so, yeah. si you, so you were 65, 
66 so, years ago. Okay, yeah. so 17, 18 years ago. Mm. You had some bad news. Yes. Um, in the June before I retired, I was taking the dog down by the River Medway and bang! Oh, I had a pain across my heart. It just would not be for six. And, and I've been very healthy all my life. And I sat down um, on the wall of the castle there to recover. Got back home. Got on touch with the doctors, of course. And then all the tests started and everything. And um, my retirement in the cathedral, the service, um, I think, was um, in, uh, November. And um, I knew about a thousand people were coming to the farewell service. And that morning in St. Thomas's Hospital, the surgeon said to me, I give you eight weeks to live. So you had that news. That news that, that morning. But you, had, you, and I you couldn't process on. it. You had to go and had to smile go to all these smile people. Smile everybody. In the, that's right. And uh, it was... It, the Death had no fear. That's honestly true for me. The thought of leaving Yvonne and the children and grandchildren, I think that's what really, really got to me. Because um, a Christian, we've got no fear of death. I mean, it, we're going straight to be with the Lord and to see him. It's wonderful. So, yes, that was difficult. But, but wonderfully, um, six weeks after that, I was not well, actually, in that time. My middle son, Phil, was ordained at St. Mary's Rygate. And we went over to hear him preach. Well, I remember nothing of the service. I don't remember him preaching. I was really not feeling very well. Um, and then we had the hymn, And Can It Be? Last hymn. And it's true. As soon as the words, my chains fell off, you know, wonderful line. I felt something go straight through me like a shower. And as though God said, it's okay. And the next morning was a letter for me to go into the hospital. So heart operation. Wow. Next so, morning. so God met you physically, actually, in that space. And it was a wonderful operation. I've been ever so well since. Praise God. Well, I remember no. seeing you soon after it, and you said you'd had no idea how ill you'd been before. No. So you've had a very active retirement. You've moved back up here to Warwickshire. That's right. And, and retired um, to Stratford. Bishop asked me to look after Snitterfield. Um, Vicar wasn't interested in Snitterfield. He had four other churches, so I looked after that. And then he left, retired, and I was looking after or five for a year and a half. Which and was a bit my much, age really. ridiculous. And um, so in September, um, I really said to the Archdeacon, that's it, and I'm going. So you retired from retirement. Yes, but I'm, <laughs> no, I'm back right. preaching again. Yeah, I didn't think we'd keep <laughs> you down very long. I saw Norman in October. He said, I've stopped. That's enough. Oh, I'm not doing no. any more. So I gave it about three months and then oh. said, how about coming and doing? I want to go on telling people how they can come to know Jesus for as long as I live. Very good. Now, I want to ask you one more question because, because you have been used by the Lord to lead hundreds, thousands to him and through Journey into Life, thousands more. But you've walked with the Lord, what would we say since you were 17, 66, 67 years. And that passage we had from Revelation was not only the Lord knocking on a door saying, can I come in to a life personally? But it's, a, it's in the context of a church that was lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Looking back on a lifelong of walking with Jesus, what would you say one of the keys to staying faithful to him would be? Um, I think it's the conviction that my life is in his hands. Um, that there's a, a destiny for the children of God. He has a clear plan. 
and he'll make that plan known to us. Um, our part is, is as in the opening of the door of our life to him, our will is important, um, is to have, yes, the willpower to walk with him. You know, God doesn't do everything for us. It's all there, you know, but he expects us to respond mm. and to walk with him close by day through our own study of the Bible, which, um, you know, I've come to love more and more as I get older, and that, you know, prayer is much more, you know, my, my walk with Jesus day by day. You know, he's right there. Um, just keep on, really. Um, I'm not sure I could say much more. That he'll never, ever let you down. He's right there by our side all the time. That sounds like a fantastic place to stop. Can we give Norman a huge round of applause? <laughs> give the Lord the clap. <laughs> And um, I'd like us to pray for you. At the end of the service, we'll get you to pray blessing on us at St. Paul. So we'll do that at the end. But how can we pray for you and indeed for Yvonne now? Um, I think just our, our ministry as you get older, obviously, you know, um, health goes. But, you know, there's a glorious future awaiting us, the children of God. And um, I, I think really... Not to fuss about ailments. I've got quite a few. I've had six major operations since I retired. But, you know, not to fuss, to get on with it, you know. Um, I'm under the doctor at the moment. I'll blow it all, you know. I think really just to get on with life, you know. And um, you see people much worse than yourself. Um, just to thank God for where we are and what he gives us. Thank God for Jesus and for the Spirit of God and for friends. You know, there's so much to be thankful for. Well, and, and I feel a very thankful person, really, for all God has done in my life. You know, I wouldn't have dreamt he could have um, used me as he has done in the past. I just want to give him the glory, really, Jonathan, completely. Well, hallelujah. Let's, um, why don't you stand and we'll <laughs> just pray God's blessing on Norman and Yvonne. How we praise you, Father for just this window into your faithfulness over someone's whole life. We praise you, Lord, that you've always been there. We thank you back to all those years ago in the war. That bomb didn't explode. Mm -hmm. We praise you for your faithfulness on Norman's life, for leading him to open the door to you as a teenager, for calling him to give his life to telling people about you, yeah. and for the way you've used him to do that. We thank you supremely for your faithfulness to him, but we thank you for his faithfulness to you. And we thank you in this church for how you used him and Yvonne and those who came with him to get this place going again. And we thank you for what you're doing here today. We pray your blessing on Norman and Yvonne in these years. Give them grace to keep on growing closer in relationship to you and each other. Uh, give, give Norman grace to go on telling people about Jesus as long as you give him breath mm -hmm. and to keep lifting his eyes until that great day when you return or you take him to be with you. Uh, give him grace to sing your praise and point others to you. Mm -hmm. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank Amen. 